Father, we thank you for this time tonight, and we know it is certainly an opportunity we do not want to miss. Lord, refresh our, our minds from a busy day, maybe from doing a lot of activities, or maybe we just need, needed to just be revived tonight for whatever we're going through. But Lord, we know that you're ready to meet us right where we're at. And Lord, we know that you will speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We will think that we're the only one in the room with you because you love us that much and you do not want us to miss what this lesson has for each and every one of us individually. Lord, for so many who are hurting, Lord, we know that there's much suffering going on. Lord, from disease to loss to, well, decisions to wayward children to relationships that are estranged. Lord, you know what we're going through. And Lord, we just know, again, we're confident that you are ready to show us through your word. Because like we always say, it has everything we need. We just need to learn how to keep our Bibles open and keep going to them. So tonight, Lord, we expect big things. You're a big God. And we know you want more than anything for us to understand Daniel 2. And we pray this all in our Savior's name who makes life so worth Worth living. Amen. All right, here it is. And this is not dorky. I hope you I hope there's one of you who thinks that this is dorky, because this isn't. You know, I know we Dutch reform or whatever denomination or whatever, you know, we're so, you know, we, we hardly dare do anything that's visible. But this is one thing I want to make sure we get. So lift your Bibles and say, This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. I tell you, your life changes when you believe that's true. So anyway, that's what we're learning. So Daniel chapter 2 tonight. And um, where, where, did we, where did we leave off? Now, um, last week was kind of a history lesson. And, but I wanted you to make sure that you saw the time frame that we had the setting all set. And Jeremiah was, giving the, was given the calling to, to um, go to the kingdom of Judah and tell them the same thing's going to happen to you as, as happened to the kingdom of Israel. And so you would think they would have just would have listened with all ears and repented and what a different story we would have today, but they didn't. And so the consequence, because this is God's two principles, obey me and I'll bless you. Disobey me and there's consequences. And we have to learn this side of God. I mean, we would love to just hear how much he loves us and how he's always with us. And, and I'm not making trite of that. It's so true. But we need to go into these parts of scripture and hear and know and be warned of what God is telling us. I mean, he is serious when it comes to... Um, our future, um, what we are doing with our today, how much we know about our future will help us with our today. And, you know, getting real with our, with our heart, getting real with it. Instead of, you know, making, we can all, we're so good at saying the right church words and we're so good at our right behavior with the right people. But we want, we want to be authentic. We want to be real. We want this to work in every area of our life. And so this is what we're striving for. And we, so then we've got to get to know God in every part. So anyway, um, 
Jeremiah told them they didn't repent. They went into exile. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar was the all-power king. It was, like, it was like Babylon was ruling the world. It was like a one-world order. Babylon was the nation ruling the world. And Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful, the most famous, the most wealthy king of all. And so... And, it, and we also learned that it was God that delivered the kingdom of Judah into the hands of his servant, Nebuchadnezzar. I know, I know that's, that's a hard one to comprehend, but God loves us so much that he'll do whatever it takes to get our attention. And even though it seems so severe, he needed to, to speak loudly. And this, these actions certainly did that. So now they're in exile and, but he did, remember, he did give them a promise. He gave them a promise and said that in 70 years, I will bring you back. And I have plans for you. I have plans to give you hope and a future, which, which means I promised Jesus. I promised that, that I, I would give you a savior, that you could be redeemed, that your life could completely change. And you could have a hope of a future with me. I mean, I came up with this plan that Jesus would come to this earth and that, that he would die on a cross and his blood would be shed and that blood would be a sufficient sacrifice to cover our sins and buy us back. And I mean, what a story. So this, this is how, this is what happened, you know. And Jeremiah told them they didn't repent. They're in exile and they have the promise and he also said, now it's going to be, it's going to be 70 years, so um, I want you to, to live your life. I want you to plant. I want you to build houses. I want you to marry. I want you to continue living. I want you to not just sit there and wait for the 70 years to be done. You need to work. And remember, that was the, that was the little cue that I I sang until then. I mean, we need to remember that, that the Lord is coming back, but we just don't sit idly by and wait. We have work to do. So now we have um, the exile with Daniel, and, and we mentioned that um, even though the nation itself went into exile, there were, there were families. There were families that so loved the Lord and, and followed through and taught their children, and, and, and Daniel's family happened to be one of them. And so one day when they knocked at the door, they came and looked at Daniel and he had everything that the king required and he was taken away. And he was brought with his three friends into Babylon University to learn the, the literature, the culture, the, the language. And he was given him a new name, a new name that would take God, the almighty sovereign God, out of their name. So now everything has changed and they're now starting to learn. Now, what kept Daniel from getting sucked up into this? Remember, he's young. He's vulnerable. He's, he probably, you know, sees all this wealth and all this, um, you know, all the best of everything. And, and he loves to learn. And what is going to keep him from getting just so caught up in all that that he turns into one of them? 
and even at a young age, I mean, it started, remember, with the food, and, and I mean, it took such strength for him to say, you know what, how about just vegetables and water, and well, you know, we don't want scrawny men, and, and he said, well, how about 10 days, and, and then after 10 days, they're about as buffed as anybody, because you know that God was in this, and Daniel knows that God is in this. And he trusts them. He doesn't, he doesn't know how it's all going to work. He just trusts him. Now, that is how we need to look at Daniel. It's a book that, yes, we can learn about the facts of how it all happened back then. But it also, it's so, it's so real and, and relative for our today. Such good life lessons. And then we're going to see today, it's, it's the backbone of prophecy of what is to come. So it's an exciting book. It's not going to be an easy study, but I think if we stick together and the Holy Spirit anoints this place and we really ask for an understanding, because this is what Daniel did. He knew the Lord would give him wisdom and understanding. And like I pray all the time, we don't want to miss what the Lord's got for us. I'm, I'm convinced we don't want to miss. So... Then in your, in your questions, your first question, I was so taken by, um, why, why was Daniel so different than Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had everything this world had to offer, and yet you watched his behavior. I mean, you know, when you, when you read the first verse, it said in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So right away, you see that, you know, we don't see the character of Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar. It's totally two different ways of handling how, handling life. And so I just, I just want to uh, kind of tell you, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to go off track, and I don't think I am, but I want you to think, what, what makes them different? I mean, um, we know that Nebuchadnezzar is pagan, and Daniel believes in a sovereign God, but it has to do with heart condition. Now, when you and I were created, God created man with a body and a mind and a soul, and that's what we're that differentiates us from the animals. And I mean, we're the only created creature with a, with a body and a mind and a soul. And the soul, and I think this is where, at least for me, sometimes I get confused about that soul. And, and even though I know it's the soul that goes to heaven, it's the soul that lives on. The soul has two other names, and that is spirit. We have a spirit and the other name is heart, soul, spirit, and heart. Our, our, the, is what is on the inside of us and really what makes us who we are. I know we put so much emphasis on the exterior and our earthly bodies, but we should be so concentrating and we should be so working at what's on the inside because it's true. Our inside is what will not die. It's the inside of us that our feelings, our decisions, our personality, everything about us is, is from the inside. And see, our heart condition is what will determine our actions. And so very simply, 
What's the difference between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar? Their heart, their heart condition. Daniel has been working at knowing who his God is. He's been learning how to trust him. See, I appreciate that hymn writer. I mean, I can't wait to meet whoever wrote that song because they really understood how it's so sweet to be able to trust him, to be able to take him at his word, to be able to, to learn how to learn how to trust him, that it doesn't just happen. It's something we have to constantly be working at. And so when we meet for Bible study, when you're doing your lesson, when your Bibles are open and you are studying his word, it is going into your heart and that so helps you to understand and to know him better, which then will create that new creature and new life in Christ. Heart condition, just remember that. Now, when we were born, our heart condition, well, Jeremiah put it, we were desperately sick. That's the way Jeremiah put it in 17th chapter. We were desperately sick. And so it's good to know that when we're born, we were our heart, even not just our physical heart, because we have a physical heart, but we also have physical, we have a spiritual heart. And as much as our, our physical heart is what controls us, it controls, it's the, it puts the blood through all the organs. It's what, it's what makes us alive. Our physical heart does that. I mean, you know, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but, you know, when I was by my mom's side in that, and there would be, there'd be 10, 15 seconds sometimes she wouldn't breathe. And I was, I was looking at that, and I was looking at her, and I saw that she wasn't breathing. And, and then, but I would look at that, her neck, that vein in her neck, and that was where I could see that heartbeat. And then sure enough, then she would breathe. But then at 12.25 on September 1st, I saw that there was no heartbeat in that neck. And that's when it was over. So when our heart stops beating, it is the control center for our human body. And when it, when it stops, it's over. But you know what? Our spiritual heart, our soul, our, our, our spirit, our soul, our heart, all of them together, when, when it is working, it controls everything about us. That's why it's so important that we work at that heart condition because it controls every part of us. And it is, the, it is the part of us that is bought back and redeemed. When we walk to the cross, it is that heart that realizes that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And it is that heart that the Holy Spirit comes to live in. It's that heart that, that Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. It is that heart that breaks sometime. And then you hear Jesus say, don't let your heart get so troubled. The heart is what Jesus knows so well about us. And if I need to remind you, if we all need to be reminded, is that there isn't one thing he doesn't know. There isn't one thing that's sneaking by. He knows everything. So working at our heart condition so that we dare to be a Daniel, that we dare to trust the Lord. And this is what we're going to see. We saw last week, of course we saw it, but we're going to see it again, how he dares step out. 
Now remember, it's only the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, so he's still young. And, and look what wisdom and control, because look at Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he is, he's a mess. I mean, he's got everything. Like I said, he's got everything the world has to, have, has to give him. He's got it all, and yet he doesn't have his heart condition. It's not centered in with the almighty sovereign God. And so he is missing it all and dependent then totally on himself. And he can't even sleep. And he is, he's, we watch him go into a rage and he's furious and he's, he's panicking and, and he, he's out of control. So we'll go on. So he, he's, he's had these dreams, not just one apparently. He's ha- had quite a few nights of these dreams. And so he's calling in the magicians and the encanters and the sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before him, the king, when, he, when they stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Now, you know, these astrologers and these, these um, different magicians and encanters, I mean, I looked it up, and it basically, they're working with the evil world. I mean, they're working with spells and with demons, and, you know, I mean, these these. Men, I'm not underestimating that they have power. I mean, I didn't understand. I've lived in a closed-in little world, but as the Lord would have it, I met a gal one time, and she came to Bible study, and she introduced herself, and this is what she said, and I'm, I'm Ketra Peck, and I used to be a witch. Now, that was a first for me. Never, never had that happen before. And I said, oh, you, you were once a witch? And she said, for real, I was. And she said, but I came to know Jesus. And what a difference. And, and, and we had her and her husband over for, for our dinner one night. And it was just, I mean, she really opened my eyes to the spirit world. To, to make me awaken to the fact that the devil not just sits on our, our shoulder and tries to get us to go in the wrong direction and all that. No, he's got power, and people are vulnerable to that power. And these magicians and encanters and these sorcerers, they have power. So I'm sure they have the ability to interpret the dreams well, it said, then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. See, they had, they had self-confidence in the fact that they have the ability to interpret the dream. But you know the story, and you know that that isn't all what the king wanted. The king wanted them because I think he's so confused. I think he's just such a mess, and I think he's just in such a state of mind that he just even... He can't even remember the dream. He just, so he says to them, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you do tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards of great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king 
tell his servants the dream and then we will interpret it. I mean, they're saying, you got to at least tell us what the dream is. And the king, because he's in such a state of mind, he is saying, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to have you all cut into pieces. That had to be a visual, huh? Cutting them all in pieces and, and then putting your homes right into a pile of rubble. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided and you're trying to save your skin. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret for me. I want to see, the king says, I really want to see if you're smart as you say you are. I want to see if you can really do what you say you can do. Because if you can't, you're out of here. And they come back and they say, they answered the king, this is not, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No, no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or encanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. You know, I, I couldn't help but stop there and think, what a sad, sad line. You know, when, when we have, I mean, we should really right now just break into song, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And because he lives, all our fear is gone. Because we know he holds tomorrow, because life is worth the living, because lives. He is alive. And, and there, another song we could break into is, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. You know, there's so many of those great songs that remind us that we have a God that's alive and he is with us and he's walking along the path with us. So what we go through, he goes through. And these poor suckers, they don't have a God that, that isn't even alive or that is even with them. This made the king. I mean, now he was out of control before, but he is really losing it now. This, this made the king so angry and furious that now, now he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So now, not just the magicians and astrologers and the sorcerers and, you know, and the encanters, not just that specific group. He's saying all the men that are labeled the wise men, I'm getting rid of the whole king of bull. They're done. Out of here. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So what what life lesson here? I mean, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar, he's, his heart condition is so pitiful. And once your once your heart condition is so pathetic, and you're not working at at knowing him, knowing the Lord, and taking the time to absorb His will word and to allow His Spirit, who is coming to your life on the second of your salvation, to be released in you. Without, without that, you have, got, you have got these men now who 
are going to all be killed because you know what? Sin, once you're on that slope, once you get going, sin just keeps, it gets worse and worse. The situation, it gets darker and darker. That's the way it happens. Once you get on this road, it just gets worse and worse. I mean, the king was unreasonable before, but now he's over the top. But this is what happens. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Now, when, when God's word, when it's put that way, it's like Daniel, does it sound like he panicked? Does it sound like he's running around like a chicken without a head? We got to do something? No, I mean, it says that he just calmly... It doesn't say calmly, but I would dare say that he knows his God so well and he trusts him so much and believes that he's on a mission. Even though his life is going to be in captivity, the majority of Daniel's life is in captivity. And I'm sure when he was born, when he was being raised, I'm sure this is not what he expected for his life. Another little lesson. How many of us are living out experiences in our lives, and this is not at all what we expected. And yet, because Daniel knows the Lord, and he, the Lord, he, he knows the Lord will enable him, he is very calm, and he knows the Lord will give him wisdom and tact. So he approaches him and says, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? I mean, what's the matter? Why would the king do something so unreasonable? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. <laughs> it took me a little bit, but I looked at that and I couldn't help but laugh because all we know is that Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So, so how did, we don't know what he said exactly. I have a pretty good idea. He said, he's nuts. <laughs> I mean, we don't know how to deal with him. He's out of control. He can't, he can't sleep at night and he has these dreams and he doesn't even know what he's dreaming. He expects us to, you know, so you can just hear Arioch say, out of control. Well, then it says that this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. I know when you read that, sometimes you don't even think, but I want you to think about that. What did that take? What did that take for Daniel to, after he spoke to Arioch with wisdom and tact, and he heard the whole story now, and he dares, he dares walk into the king's presence. That little kid song that we used to sing, boy, we dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand up and say, hey, now, Simmer down, calm down, give me a little time because I serve a God. And he might not have said all this right now, but I know that's what he was thinking. I have a God that even though this all looks so impossible, impossible is not in his vocabulary. 
Don't you want to know them that well? That whatever situation or crisis you're in is that you just know he doesn't know the word impossible. And he can use this for good. And he can use you in this situation to be a light in this absolute dark pagan country. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mashiach, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He urged them. He went to his friends, and he knows his inabilities. He's going to say later, "There's, there's not a man, a human being that can do anything like this. Only a God can do this. So he has his friends. You go to the Lord and you plead. You, you, you plead for mercy. He urged them to plead for mercy. And he, it says, so that, they, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, does this sound like, well, you know, he's just, you know, I don't want to die. Four of us don't want to die, you know. And so this is not a self-centered request. This is not. I mean, how do I know? Because I'm learning to know the heart of Daniel. And he didn't say this in a self-centered, I just don't want to die. He knows that God's got him on a mission. I can't say that enough. When you know you're on a mission for God, I'll tell you, it, it makes you feel strong. And, and when you don't have the strength, what did Paul say? Because he had been there. He says, when my strength is gone, his strength is perfect. Paul also knows that, and he wrote that, and he says, and, and to him who is able to do immeasurably more than I can ever imagine or think through the power that is at work in me, So Daniel is experiencing that, you know, I know my limitations, but I serve a God who is limitless. And I know he has got the four of us here on a mission. And I'll tell you, I love this about Daniel. I want this, that kind of assurance and confidence and that kind of calmness and that kind of strength and that kind of courage. Because he knew that God was going to use them. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, and before we get into his praise, did you notice that he did not run to Nebuchadnezzar and say, you know, I think I might have it, so let me run it by you and see if it's right. He did not have to run it by Nebuchadnezzar to, to know if it was the right answer, the right revelation to the, the mystery. He knew it was because God never makes a mistake and God always is right. And so he went into instant praise. And you know what I learned? I learned that we can test how much faith we really have. Oh, we think we've got a bunch. 
But we can test how much faith we really have when something throws us and it's a real shocker and it's a surprise and it's not what we expected. A test of our real faith is how quick do we go into praise? And praise doesn't just mean, oh, this is wonderful, hallelujah, you know. No, praise is when you look to him and you get your eyes off the situation and onto him because he's the one who is leading every step of the way. And when you go to praise to him, guess what you don't do? Worry and panic and out of control and fly off the handle and get to be a mess. You go into praise, and look at what he says. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Again, not one ounce of credit does he take for himself. He knows that all wisdom and all power comes from the Lord. Look at verse 21. He, he changes. He changes times and seasons. See, God does that. Well, how does this relate to us? Because sometimes we, we are just comfortable and our life is going smooth and then phew, it's like an explosion. Where did that come from? You know, and, and there again, Daniel is so confident that God changes things. He changes directions sometimes. He changes, I mean, I thought I'd be a singer the rest of my life, but, and I'm sure you have something too. You thought you were going to, or you thought, and didn't happen. Well, you know what? We serve a God, and if you trust him, you accept that he has got the power and the wisdom to make changes. He changes times and seasons. I had, a, I had a wonderful lady this morning come up to me, and she just lost her husband. And, and she said that helped her so much because she's in a new season of life, and it's called a widow. And, and she says, you know, she, she is my age and wasn't really expecting this. And, but she said, that verse helped me to see that when Daniel praised him and proclaimed his name and said, you have the power and the wisdom, you know what's best, and I trust you with it, with changing my life and changing the seasons, and, but you'll be there. He sets up kings and he disposes them. He sets up kings and he disposes them. If that isn't confidence for you and I, that no matter, you know, after four or eight years, you know, we get a new president or whatever, and, you know, sometimes we're thrilled, sometimes we're not thrilled. And, and you know, we put so much stock in our government and our leaders and all that kind of thing. And, you know, Paul tells us that you, you better obey the government because the Lord has put them in authority over you. I mean, and he knows what he's doing. He knows what this has got to happen to get this world ready for his return. So he says, look at he sets up kings because look how he used Nebuchadnezzar. He called him his servant even because he knew that Nebuchadnezzar in this exile um, environment in 70 years, I'll tell you, they were going to come around, and they were going to believe that God had that plan for them and that a Savior was going to come. And, and so, 
Sometimes he sets up kings and then he gets rid of them. I mean, I'll tell you, that's why we can look at the news and listen and we can hear all these things. But our faith and our, our courage and our, our reason for living and all that has nothing to do with, with what's happening on this, in, our, in our government and leadership. God is the one that we look to. He is the ultimate leader. He is the one that leads the way through his power, through his Holy Spirit. He sets up kings, he disposes them, and he gives wisdom to the wise, anybody who's, who wants to know. If you and I really want to know the truth, he'll make these difficult chapters, he'll make, them, he'll make them clear. He'll give you the wisdom. That's what I'm counting on, and I hope you're counting on that too. He will give wisdom to the wise, and the wise is those who want to hear from him. And he will give wisdom to the wise. And he will give knowledge to the discerning. Daniel goes on and he said that it is this God and we praise your name because it's you. It's, he reveals deep and hidden things. He reveals deep and hidden things. And he, he knows what lies in the darkness. He knows what's going on in this dark world. And light dwells in him. Light dwells with him. And as long as he lives within us, he uses us all as little pieces of light all through this darkness. He knows. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. And then look how you, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the kings. Oh, I would have loved to have been in that, in that praise service when he just let it loose. Just grateful that to be used by God, just to be the mouthpiece, to be the instrument that God could speak through. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. And we talked about this a little bit um, amongst a few of us, that that line stands out because look what Daniel said. Don't execute all the wise men. He just didn't say, don't execute the four of us. And really, he's saying, don't execute all the wise men. I think he's thinking, because if you did now, they'd be lost. As long as they have breath, we still have an opportunity to show them our God. I mean, he's not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about all of them and the opportunities that he's going to be able to have with them. That maybe they could, they'll change their mind and they'll come to know the one sovereign God. To be able to look beyond yourself, even... In people that are so different from you, see, that's heart condition. That's the right heart condition. 
Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, who is also named Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? <laughs> and Daniel replied, weren't you a little surprised about that? I mean, wouldn't you have thought you're standing before the king and he's kind of got you on a, okay, I, you can do it, huh? you can do it, you can interpret, you can tell me the dream and interpret. Uh, and then what is Daniel's first word? Nope. Oh, I, I would dare say Nebuchadnezzar had his hand on his sword. He was enough of this nonsense. But Daniel goes on. He says, no, no wise men, not me or any of these men, these encanters, magicians, or diviners can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. So he made it very clear. No, you're asking the impossible. No human being can do it. But then you see, but, but there is a God, capital G, in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. Does Daniel sound confident to you? Yeah, young kid, but with the right heart condition. And what does God promise with the right heart condition? Strength and courage and the ability to say what needs to be said and and he I think is very calm and he says as you were lying there as you were lying on your bed oh king your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen so king this is good see what the mystery is is that you are being warned you are, you are given insight onto what is going to happen so that you know, so that you can be prepared. I thought, what a lesson. You know, some people don't want to study Daniel or they don't want to study Revelation because they don't want to hear that. And I'm thinking, why is it in there? Is so that we can be warned and prepared and we can know and look forward to and not be fearful. Our, our, our future is secure. And so he says, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, you know the interpretation that you may understand what went through your mind. I think Daniel pretty much says, there is a God in heaven who loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, and he wants you to know these things. He wants you to know how limited you really are and how, how time is in his hands. And he is the controller. Because I heard once that Nebuchadnezzar thought he was sovereign. It's almost laughable, isn't it? Well, God is going to teach him. And I think this is the start of it. You looked, O king. 
you looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue. And I've been Nebuchadnezzar. Now that Daniel is starting to, to describe it and make things clear, I bet, oh, yeah, I remember this statue. It was enormous. It was dazzling. It was awesome in appearance. Daniel went on to say, the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Wow, that's a vision. That's a visual, isn't it? Did you take a minute to picture that? This enormous, uh, awesome, um, dazzling statue, head of gold, and then, then um, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron, and feet of iron, and, and partial clay. But then he went on. While you were watching, while you were looking at that statue and probably marveling at it, a, a rock, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. So out of the clear blue, really, out came this huge rock, and it struck it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. What a description of, I mean, we all know that when, when wheat is harvested and, it, you know, the, the leftover, the, the chaff, and how it just takes a little wind, it's so light and it, it's just blown away. But what Daniel was saying, you were watching, you were, you were looking at this statue that probably represented such power and these metals, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then this rock that came out of nowhere, no human hands, all of a sudden this rock just schmucked it all. In fact, to the point that it was so finely destroyed that a wind could just blow it away. Now, how can one second it is so strong and massive and standing there like that? If that isn't the power of God, if that doesn't show you that nothing is too hard for him and that even though humanly we're looking at it with our physical eyes, we're saying, oh, you know, this is impossible, that statue, nothing can move that. And then with our spiritual eyes, we hear the Holy Spirit say, oh, you've seen nothing yet. What lesson? How, how often do we think that our life's condition is so impossible? And it, we don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And we just, we just, you know, there's just no hope in this situation. And nothing's impossible for him. And it all depends on how well do you believe that? How well do you know that? How much do you trust him? How well? The rock then struck the statue, became a huge mountain, the rock that struck the statue now became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. <laughs> I don't think we have any question on who the rock is, do we? 
but I think it does zap us into position saying, you know, we just, we get so weak and we just get so feeling helpless and hopeless. And, and how can we, when we have a God that can, like a rock, just smash on the impossible? We got to get to know him better. This was the dream, and now we will interpret. So now we've covered the dream, and now we will interpret. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Oh, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar liked this. There's no doubt he enjoyed hearing this. Oh, yeah, that's me. Verse 39, then, um, and I hope that he's thinking in all reality, he's not going to live forever, even though he thinks he's sovereign. And I'm sure he doesn't want to think that there's going to be an after you. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours, though. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. That's chilling, if you ask me. Because how often don't you hear now, we're living in a world that's so what? Divided. Now, we will go more into detail about who these nations, these kingdoms are. But I'm just going to quickly tell you so you have an idea as we move forward that these, these kingdoms... Of course, we know that the gold, the head of gold, was the first kingdom, and that's Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. It was the kingdom of Babylon, and this stood. The kingdom of Babylon ruled the world for 66 years. That's not a long time, not even as long as they were in exile, because when we study Esther, it won't be Nebuchadnezzar, and it won't be the kingdom of Babylon. So the kingdom of Babylon, you know, even though it was the, the ruler of the world right now, it only stood for 60 year, 66 years. And then the next, the next nation that ruled the world was the Medo-Persians. And they stood and ruled the world 208 years. The next nation was the Grecian Empire, and they ruled the world 185 years. And then the Roman Empire, the fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire ruled and stood firm in their rulership, in their, in their leadership for 500 years. And they were, they were the kingdom that was ruling when Jesus was born. Now, 
now it says in verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. I don't know if you listened to Dr. J. David Jeremiah and... Uh, <laughs> I just I just was so excited this past Sunday listening to him before we go to church and and he preached on Daniel too. I thought, how much more affirming do I need? So I sat there and I listened to him and it was so exciting to me because he he then helped uh, helped me to. Go to Revelation and be reminded, because I've studied Revelation enough, that someday, someday, and this is what we can look forward to, someday, because I went to Revelation 19, and all I could picture was Jesus on the white horse, and, and he's coming, and he's, he's left heaven, and the saints are following him in. And, and what's he coming to? He's coming to the area of Armageddon where all the nations that didn't believe in him, the, the nations that probably was ruling the world at the time thought they were so mighty. And they're, they're, the, they're at Armageddon, and they, they're using every military weapon that they've got. I can picture stealth bombers all around and, you know, the F-15, 16 fighter planes. And, I mean, and you know all the technology of, of today's warfare, and, and they've got the latest. And they're all aiming at that horse, that rider on the white horse. And they think they're going to shoot him out of the sky like nothing. And Jesus has no weaponry at all because all he has to do is open his mouth and they all drop dead. Oh, that's a chapter. We'll get into that more later. Oh, it's something. I mean, it just looks so impossible. You've got all military weaponry pointing at you. Is he, is he nervous? Are the saints nervous? Are they nervous when they look at what's ahead and all that's pointing at them? Not for a second because they know the rider on the white horse. I mean, this is the way to live. See, this is why Daniel is here. And that's why Dan David Jeremiah said Daniel 2 is the backbone of prophecy. And prophecy is something we have to listen to, even though we don't want to because, oh, we don't understand it and we're scared and it's scary. No, it is not. We, we will never understand it totally, but we don't have to. All we have to know is what the Bible says to be able to hold on to the hope of what he has promised us. And we will see that Daniel in Revelation gets us prepared, warns us so that we're ready and we're looking and we're making, we're, we're living out our salvation until he comes because every day it's a day closer. This is the meaning of the vision, verse 45, of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. 
And I hope you underline that verse. I hope you yellow it. I hope you star it. Whatever it takes, that that verse will always jump out at you. That you will know that, you know, yes, we are studying Daniel and, and we're learning about his at that time during the exile. But now we're seeing how this chapter can also help us live today in the kind of world we're living in. But it also then shows us and confirms that we've got a future. And to be able to hear Daniel say that the great God has shown the king and to you and I what will take place in the future. The dream is true. And the interpretation is trustworthy. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we got, he needs a little work yet, but this is start. You know, we're, we're going to see a lot more about him, but, and he's going to take a dive. But, you know, but, hey, it's a start. He is, he is getting a glimpse. He's watching Daniel's heart condition. He's watching Daniel's heart condition come out in his actions, in, in his words, in his confidence, in his strength. So certainly your God is the God of God's. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Okay, they're in position. They're in position so the key word tonight is learning how to dare to be a Daniel, to trust the way Daniel did, to be able to see that rock, to see that rock. And, you know, there's, there's verses, and oh, I, I just have to, I just have to um, read you a verse that um, I saw in, well, it talked about the stone. It says um, in Isaiah 28, verse 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord said. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. And I know that, that Paul talks too about a cornerstone. Our cornerstone, our foundation is what we build our life on. Not this world, not our government, not the government leaders. We, we stand on the cornerstone. Who's got the power to take a statue like that and just schmuck it to nothing. To be able to come on a white horse to personally redeem you and I when we deserve nothing less than hell itself. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. Oh, we want to absorb it all. And we want to not just take it out of here, but we want to go over it and over it so that it becomes a part of our lives so that your spirit can help us recall when our self, when our old yucky self wants to rise up and, and go our old way. Father, we want to be Daniel. We want, and we know it's possible because Daniel was just a human being. And we have these figures in Scripture, these real figures, their story on purpose so that we can see that it is possible. We can live like this. We can live in a hard and difficult world and still be able to have what it takes to be a light. Oh, we just thank and praise you that we have a firm foundation. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.